are you just recklessly going into his presence like nobody would do something like that but you would because you're a son or daughter of the king are you going into his presence that way and if you're not i wonder why you're not because he loves you to the moon and back and he has all the power in all of creation to give you anything you ask for yet he's wise enough to know if you ask for something bad he's not going to give it to you we are in week three of this amazing little letter the book of ephesians in this series called a new humanity now, let me tell you what this book is about. It is about how God has taken a lost and broken people and drawn out from this lost and broken humanity a new society. In this new society, he took and he showed a love and a mercy and a grace. And through this society now, there's a unity between us and God, and what this now produces is a people who are meant to bring heaven to earth. And so last week, in week or two weeks ago in week one, we saw how Christ, in him, all things have been united by this love that he has for us, and then in this unity, he's beginning to make all things new. And we saw the absolute supremacy of Christ, that none of this could have happened, and here's what he did. He rent open the heavens, he opened the heavens up, and as soon as he did, all of these blessings from heaven came down here upon the earth for us to enjoy. That was week one. Now week two, we saw one of those blessings, the blessing of election that God chose us before the foundation of the world. He made us his before he hung the stars in the sky. He hung your name upon his heart. That was last week. Now this week, we're gonna look at three of these stunning blessings that have come down from heaven that are absolutely, perfectly, beautifully aware to, uh, available to us. Now look, when we read these verses, you need to know this. This is one long sentence in, in, in the Greek. And what Paul is doing is he's telling us of these beautiful things, but they're so beautiful to Paul that he can't help but be in praise and in worship as he's telling us these wonders. And so when I'm reading this and when we're listening through this, if this does not sound like the most amazing news you have ever heard, you can know for sure that you are misunderstanding it. There's something that you're missing. And so this is where when we come here to God's word, we're asking for him to have mercy on us so that we might discover what is beautiful, what is true, and what is lovely here for us. We don't want to miss it. And so your posture is a posture of humility, and your posture is a posture of, God, have mercy on me. Help me understand everything here. So let me read this to you, and we're going to have a time of Q&A right after the sermon. There should be a number on the screen as we go, and you can text me as we go through the sermon, and I'll have questions to answer when we get done. All right. God's word to us. From Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay. Something you need to see here that is woven throughout the entire fabric of the, of the whole narrative of the Bible is this. Christ, it's, we see it right here in our verses, Christ accomplished salvation, but then the Holy Spirit applied that salvation. Christ accomplished redemption, but then the Holy Spirit applied it. Now, this is how it works. So Christ, when he came, into the, came down to the earth, and he died and rose, he opened up this chasm between us and the heavens. The door became open. And all these blessings trickled in. And right now what's happening is all these blessings are swarming around us. But we haven't taken hold of them. We need the Holy Spirit to take hold of us with these blessings and apply them. It said in verse 13 that they've been sealed to us. So you can imagine just blessings beyond blessings all around you right now. But the Holy Spirit must apply those blessings and seal them to you. And when that happens, this is the stuff that makes your heart sing. It makes your soul want to dance. It makes your mind say, I am the luckiest person in all the earth to have a God that has been so amazing to me. And if you aren't hearing these blessings that way, you're missing it. Somehow truth has escaped your heart. It's not resonating in the halls of your heart. So you say, God, have mercy on me. Please let me see the beauty of these truths. And the first heart-healing blessing we see is adoption. Now, this idea of adoption, it's kind of new in the Bible. All throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't a really fully developed idea. It was actually more of a Greek and Roman idea. So Paul is taking, he's writing this book into a Greek and Roman culture. And this culture was under Roman law. And under Roman law, here's how adoption worked. There were three exchanges that had to happen. The first exchange is the, the birth father must release his son to then be adopted by the adopting father. But then the adopting father must release the son back to the birth father, and then the release happens again. This happens three times. There's three exchanges in order to make the adoption like stick, I guess you could say. And once the child has been adopted, they have absolute full rights as a son or daughter to their new father. All the rights, all the privileges, a new name has been given. Now, the three exchanges is, is really important, actually, because you can see later in Ephesians where, in a way, we had three evil fathers. Now, I'm not talking about your earthly father. I want to I read to you in Ephesians. This is where this idea of the world, this is... This is an idea in the Bible of the three evil things that are after us are the world, the flesh, which is you. That means there's an evil in you and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, they come from these verses right here, and you could think of those things as your fathers. So watch. This is who you're being saved from. You're being 
adopted away from. It says, in which you walked, here we go, following the course of this world, there's one father, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil's second father, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of obedience, disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's really bad news. But the good news of Christianity is that you have been rescued from these three things. Um, So let's take the three of them. First, you see Satan, the deceiver. Here's how it went. He's the trickster. And he tricked us and caused us to eat something that was bad for us. And instead of nourishing it, us, it killed us. Um, and then once that happened, he owned us. He became like a father to us. Jesus says, um, when he's talking to the religious elite of the day, he says, you are of your father, the devil. And so we, we, the devil has claim on us, you can say, which means death owns us. So that's the first part of the bad news. The second part is the law. Now, the law becomes the father. This is, this is all of the Bible, like all of the things you should do or not do, the, the Ten Commandments. So the law is a beautiful thing. But because of the flesh in us, because of there's this evil desire in us, what happens is now the law turns from this good and beautiful thing to a condemning father. Screaming over and over after every sin, you aren't worthy. So we have a father who has claimed us for death. We have a father who now condemns us. And then third is the world. The world is the culture that we are in, the culture of the day. And whatever the culture of the day is, the culture has been called a father. And whatever the culture of the day is, I want you to know what it's doing to you. It's telling you, live like this. And if you don't, you're immoral. You're wrong. It's a judgmental father always watching over you saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that, Uh uh-uh, don't do that. Now, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, kind of helps to develop this idea. So here's how the story goes. There's these three young children, and they walk into a wardrobe. And when they come out the other side, they're in this world called Narnia. And Narnia is ruled by this evil witch where it's always winter and never Christmas. Sounds horrible. So then... um. The news is that Aslan, the Lion King, is on the move. And Aslan and these four children are going to together restore Narnia the way that's supposed to be. Only the evil white witch gets hold of one of the boys named Edmund and tricks him. And after she tricks him and he falls and does this horrible thing to, his, to, to all of Narnia, to his family, she has claim on him. And so she comes to claim him. But then Aslan steps in between and says, no, you cannot have him. And she says, well, it requires a death. And then Aslan the king says, I will die on behalf of this child. Now, adoption in Christianity means Christ is the king who has come to pay the price so that we might be rescued from all of these evils, from all of these fathers that had hold of us, that were hurting us, that were abusing us, that were mistreating us, that were condemning us, making us feel like nothing, driving us into the dirt. And what has now happened is we have become the absolute beautiful apple of his eye. When he sees you, he delights in you the way he would delight in his one and only firstborn perfect son. 
And it actually says in verse 18 that we are his inheritance. So we're reading all this and we're hearing, wow, this is an amazing inheritance that we get. But then he talks about how he feels about you. And he says, you are my inheritance. If you're his inheritance, that means he sees this, like his glorious inheritance, it says. He sees you as a glorious inheritance that is his and he's delighting in you. He's excited that you have come to him. And there's a privilege here. I mean, here comes the good stuff. What it now means is you have access to the maker of all things at any moment, at any time, anytime you want, you go running right into his presence. You think about a king over this kingdom, and he's a good king, and he's a powerful king, and somebody has a really bad dream, and they're terrified. Now, this... This man that has a bad dream. I mean, why, the, why a man has a bad dream and he's terrified, it doesn't matter. He, he, he's scared and he wants someone to comfort him. And so he knocks on the castle door saying, the king is powerful enough. The king can comfort me. And he knocks on the door. And the door's not opening up because there's this grown man that wants to get into the room with the king. And it's like, that's weird. You can't go in there. This is not what this is for. But if you're a son or daughter of the king and you have a bad dream, the door is always open. I watched yesterday at my son's football game, this kid, um, he almost got an interception and his dad was so proud of him. And he, he comes running off the field and his dad picks him up and holds him and like twirls him around. Like he's so excited that both of them are having this moment. If I would have done that, it would have been weird because I'm not his father. <laughs> when the king that has created all things. When you have something to celebrate, he celebrates with you. I mean, if you're, if, if you're like, like a, a daughter who's just, my daughter, she just finished her um, dance recital. Like, like, if a little girl has the king as her father, she has access. She can be twirled around after her dance recital is over. Now, that's the kind of access that you have to the king of the cosmos. And so my question is, are you taking advantage of this privilege? Are you just recklessly going into his presence? Like, nobody would do something like that, but you would because you're a son or daughter of the king. Are you going into his presence that way? And if you're not, I wonder why you're not. Because he loves you to the moon and back, and he has all the power in all of creation to give you anything you ask for, yet he's wise enough to know if you ask for something bad, he's not going to give it to you. And he... Angels... It says in Peter, First Peter, long to look into the mystery of the gospel. I mean, the angels are watching as a bunch of sinners and rebels have a God who has come and died for them so he might be able to adopt them back as their own. Now, if angels, angels were the jealous type, which they're not, but if they were, I'd imagine it goes something like this. They look on at what happens where God sends his son to die for us. And they're, they're in awe. Their mouths are hanging wide open because they're saying this to God. If they're the jealous type, which they're not. But if they were, they would say, God, you took people who ran from you, who ridiculed your son, who mocked him with a crown of thorns, spit in his face, and then took his hands and nailed him to a cross. 
and he died for them. And you have raised them and given them more honor than us. And the angels could have said that. Perhaps they had a right to say that, but they didn't. They looked on instead in awe and wonder that God would do that for us. In awe of the grace that's been given. Do you see that? We need to stop saying, oh, you know, I haven't really been spending as much time with God as I should. I really need to get back to spending some time with God. No, 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 no. We get to go and just run right into the presence of God. If we're even thinking, oh, you know, I better spend some more time with God, we don't get it. We're missing it. We don't know what kind of father we have. God did not die for you. Son did not die for you so that God could wag his finger at you when you do something wrong. He did not die for you so that you could cower into coming into his presence. He died for you so that when you come into his presence, he's more delighted to see you than you are of him. If I, a wretched man, see my kids come running to me and I'm more delighted at that than they are in seeing me, then how much more is a good and good and heavenly father, a holy God, going to be delighted when he sees you come running into his presence? So much more. So what are you waiting for? Are you hearing this truth? And are you running right to him? And it's not just a privilege. There's now a responsibility that you have. You are royalty. You're you're made now of the stuff of heaven living on the earth, and you have received a love from God in Christ Jesus. And it's not a love that says, I'm going to love people as I wish that they would love me. It's a love that says, as the Father in heaven has loved me, now I am going to love the world. And that is a different thing. It's beyond your capability of even dreaming of how much someone could love you. You see the love that the Father has for you, the love that the Son has for you, and you don't say, oh man, I'm gonna love as I wish I was loved by people. No, I'm gonna love as my God has loved me. And it's not just this uh, love that you've received, but you've received strength and courage. Because it's like, The stuff of heaven is flowing through your veins and you carry a power and a strength as sons and daughters of the king. Princes and princesses walking the earth and there's strength in that. So I wonder what would happen in our world if every single Christian started actually acting like a son or daughter. I think our world would be changed. I think you might change your workplace. I think you might change your neighborhood. Second, chain-breaking blessing... So the first is adoption. The second chain-breaking blessing is redemption. Now, this is a unique word. It's not really used much in classical literature. So this is a unique word to Christianity, and what it's showing is that, wow, Christianity really is unique among other faiths, among other religions, among other belief systems. And the idea of redemption is that somebody has been delivered because a price has been paid. There's a ransom this is this, the song that we sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Like, that sounds weird until you understand his blood was the price for him to get you. So adoption means you go from having one father to another father, but redemption means you go from being an orphan slave to a son of the king. And, and so we, we see these three ways, these three parts these three fathers that we once had. 
The first father is Satan. Satan brings death. Christ comes to redeem us from an infinite death. And because he is infinite, because an infinite God dies, that means we live on into infinity. So I can't die for you and you live forever because I'm temporary. But when the God who is infinite dies for you, you become eternal. Second father that we are redeemed from is the law. So the law says justice is required. In order to satisfy the demands of the law, someone must die. Christ became cursed on, the, on a tree to redeem us from the curse of the law. In other words, you're free now. And then the world, in all of its ways, that we keep getting brought into. We look around at the way other people are living and, and we say, well, that makes sense to me. I guess I should live that way. And there's this whole other beautiful way to live. And what Jesus says is, I have come to bring the kingdom of God. And when he comes to bring the kingdom of God, he brings a whole new list of ways to live. He brings an upside-down kingdom, an inside-out kingdom, a kingdom that says power is given not when you take it, but when you give it all away. That's the way of the kingdom. So we have a God who was bought with a price. And at the very price, no, we were bought with a price by God with his life. Your sin is so bad that it requires God to die. And he loves you so much that he does it. And for all of eternity, we're going to be looking on at this thing with awe and wonder. We won't want to look away because it just keeps screaming at us of how much we are loved and how much we are valued by God. In Ephesus, the Greek culture took very seriously the reading of stars in the sky. And what they would do is they would go to the Greek goddess Artemis and they would say, Artemis, will you please free me from my fate that I have read from the stars? Or, you know what they would do? They would go to magicians and these magicians would, would break the spell that they had of a bad horoscope. And then Paul comes on the scene and he says, mm -mm. your God is a God who hung the stars. Your fate is not found in the stars. Your fate is found in a God who is powerful enough to create all things, loves you enough to die for you. So we think, you, do you think he's not going to take care of you through this life? Do you think he's not going to see everything that's happening to you and look at it and know exactly what to do and what to give you to face whatever you're facing? And do you not then believe that anything that you go through somehow is for your good, though it feels like it hurts, though it feels terrible? Because look, when you look upon the cross, you got to think this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, and then it turns out to be the best thing. And if God is a good father who loves you and he's redeemed you, that means that anything bad that happens to you, he's always redeeming it. He's always bringing beauty out of the ashes. He can't help it. It's what he does. And if you know it, then you go running to him in your problems, not running away from him. And you don't shake your fist at him. You say, God, what are you up to? Because I know you're good, and I know you're loving, so i got to trust you here. 
You're free. And you're no longer then a slave to the opinions that people have of you. Because the creator of all things delights in you. And you're no longer a slave to getting more and more material possessions, keeping up with everybody around you. The possessions are not going to give you what you seek. You have a God who is enough. And you're no longer a slave to your sin. The chains have been broken. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning. You will sin for the rest of your life, but you're not a sinner anymore. You have a new identity. You're being changed, and you're becoming more and more of this person you're meant to be. Though you're not that person yet, you might lie, but you're not a liar. These are different things. The chains have come off. Be free of your sin. And then the third shame-squashing blessing is forgiveness. Our verses say, redeemed by blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is, this is something you need to know when you read the Bible. Whenever you see the word forgiveness, often it means two things, actually. It means propitiation and justification. So two things, propitiation and justification. I'm going to tell you what that means. So really what I'm talking about is four blessings today, not three. The first propitiation, let me read to you from Romans 3, verses 24 and 25. It says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All right. So what does propitiation mean? It means all the wrongs that you have done through all of your life have been stolen from you, and Christ held them, and the wrath of God came after him and not you. You have to have a judgmental father. God must be judgmental. He must be just. He has to be. If you want heaven, you have to have a just God. And if you have a God that just says, oh, you know what, forgiveness of sins with no cost, no big deal. Well, that means he's just going to let a whole bunch of stuff fly all the time and heaven is tainted and it will never be what it's always been meant to be. So you lose the world that you long for. But if you have a just God, he could build it. But the problem is you aren't fit for it. So what does he do? He becomes the propitiation, meaning this. Here's the, the great meaning. There are storehouses of the wrath of God that have been built up for centuries. And the Father is holding those back with his mighty holy hand. He's not letting them go. But just as that wrath is released, just before it's released, Jesus, the Son of God, steps in your place. He takes all of your sin, all of your shame, and he owns them as if he had done them all, and he wears them upon the cross. And then the wrath, like a freight train, comes right down upon him. And you're free. There's a collision that happens because of the tension of his, of his justice and his love. Because his love is what drove him to the cross. And so there's a collision that happens. Right there on the cross, his justice and his love meet, and it makes the doors of heaven spring open. And now that means that there are a whole bunch of sinners walking around in heaven who have had their sins stolen from them, and they are with a clear and perfect record. 
It's like there's a kiss that happens. It's the, it's the most expensive wedding day there has ever been because it's where justice and love kiss at the altar, but there at the altar, as the kiss happens, it requires the life of the groom. Christ is the groom, the church is called the bride, and when the kiss happens between love and justice, that was adorable burp or hiccup. Gosh, she stole the moment there. The kiss, the bride price, for God to get you, he kissed death. But worse, he kissed justice. He kissed wrath so that you could be free and forgiven and loved. It's a violent wedding day. And then next, justification. Romans 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. And this means that when the father looks, you imagine how the father sees the son and all of his obedience and all he was faithful to everything and he sees him and he sees his courage and he's just delighting in his son. Well, what justification means is that all of the perfection of Christ is taken and it's placed upon you. So now when the father looks at you, he looks at you with the same kind of eyes he would look at his one and only firstborn son. He's got nothing but a smile from, for, for you. And that means it doesn't matter what you do or don't do for the rest of your life. He is going to love you. And he's not going to stop loving you. And it, and it means this. You might have an amazing day. And that m- amazing day might be the greatest temptation you ever face because you're going to think, look at me. God must really love me. And you're going to want to take this beautiful record and say, God, don't you love me because of this? Look at what I did on this day for you. It is nothing compared to the beautiful and perfect record of Christ. And so you take this beautiful, amazing day and you throw it in the trash because you don't want to take that beautiful day and offer it up to God when you have the treasure of Christ's perfect golden record to offer up to the Father. It doesn't mean it's not a good thing that you lived a good day, but don't you dare go to the Father saying, love me because of this. Say, love me because of him and him alone. And so that means that in the heavens right now, sinners aren't just given a clean slate to walk around in the heavens. Like God isn't just like, ah, you're average. He sees you like he sees his son. Amazing record. Yours. Forever. Do you believe that? Do you really think that God looks at you like he looks at Jesus? And if you don't, I think maybe today would be a good day to start. And if you do believe it, Why are you living like you forgot it? Why, even in this moment right now, are you not just standing up and praising God? I mean, yes, there's there's some type of culture going on here where you're like, well, I don't want to be the weird guy that does that. But also, like, at the same time, this is what God has done for you. How do you not just stand up and sing praises to him forever, saying, God, I love you, and I can't believe you did this for me, and I don't deserve any of it. But you did it. The way Paul describes it, he says, we have been lavished 
by the riches of his grace. And this word lavished means we have gone from something like a sick, um, broken, defiled leper who is unclean, avoided, unworthy to step foot into the presence of God and the presence of other people, like banished an exile. And we have gone from someone like that to someone who is rich with grace and healthy with grace and healthy in the presence of God and loved like a firstborn child. Like, okay, this idea of the firstborn son of God, the firstborn son got all most of the rights. But when we are called co-heirs with Christ, it means we're treated like a firstborn son. This is such an amazing gift that we're given. And then we're seen as worthy, cherished, the apple of his eye. Spoiled with grace. And if all of this does not sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, either I have done something wrong here or you are misunderstanding it. Come alive to him. Look at the Savior King the firstborn of all creation. He came not into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came not to destroy life, but to give life. He came not to leave us, but to adopt us. He came not to imprison us, but to set us free. He came not to judge, but to be judged in our place. And he came not to take credit for all he did, but to give us all the credit for all that he did. So, leave the courtroom and step out into freedom and become the son and daughter that you have always been meant to become. And never take your eyes off of him and live for him with all your might and tell the world of your great God. Let's pray. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, we're hesitant to give ourselves over to you completely. Help us do it. Break the chains of our fear. Break the chains of our sin, our flesh that's holding us back. Break the chains of the pressure of this world that's keeping us from you. And break the chains of death and evil so we might become alive in you and free forever. Let your love change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I know God is proud of me. I know God loves me for who I am. God bless. That's not a question, but it's cool. Amen to that. If God sees us like he sees Jesus, does that mean who we are as people, our personalities and such are lost? No. Great question. So God, before the foundation of the world, we talked about this last week, before he hung the stars, he hung your name upon his heart. And he made you, you. You aren't losing you, you're becoming more of you. So there's a version of you in heaven that you will one day be. 
And it's the version of you that is the perfect reflection of God. So when God created humanity, he, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What that means is we are like living, breathing mirrors. Now, what defines a mirror? Whatever's in front of it. And so there's a version of you that when you, like a mirror, are looking at God, there's like this, there's like something woven between you and God where you reflect out this perfect and beautiful image that you've always been meant to be. And so the version of you that you will be in heaven, that you will be in heaven is you, except it's more of you, not less. Does that make sense? So like you're all, um, oh, what's this quote from C.S. Lewis? It's beautiful. It's like, when you get to heaven, you will get there and you will think that it was made just and only for you. And the reason you will think that is because you are made for heaven. And you will think there's no other place that is designed better than this for me, so this must be my home. That's what it's like when we walk into it. Okay. Can you elaborate on how you can sin but not be a sinner? Um, yes. I can try. Let me think if there's an illustration. I've got nothing. Let me just start talking and see what happens. Okay. So, you know, there's this place in Revelation that's really terrifying, and it starts talking about, like, basically, we're all doomed to destruction. Who are the people that are doomed to destruction? And one of those doomed to destruction are liars. And I'm like, well, I, like, I still lie. Not on purpose. You know, why do we lie? Well, because we're scared of something. We're scared of being found out. We're trying to get approval from somebody. We're fearful we'll be exposed, and so it would just maybe be easier to tell a lie than to tell the complete truth. Well, why are we doing that? We're doing it out of fear because we're not acting like a son or daughter of the king who knows they're forgiven. And if that's the case, well, I'm a son or daughter of the king who got a little bit scared for a moment and told a lie versus... All I do is lie because I live in complete fear all the time and I am not known by God, I am not loved by God, and I don't have any confidence in anything beyond myself, and so everything is up to me, and so I'm going to look out at the world and I'm going to say, in order to get what I want, i got to lie because I don't think anybody's got my back except for me. You see, so that's a difference. Does that help? Yeah, okay. Hmm. I tried. All right, let's go for... Um one more. If God is all-powerful, why does he need angels to do what he wants in the universe? The same question could be asked, why does he need us to do anything? I mean, even, even more so, we have far less power than the angels do, and God has asked much of you in this life. So, why does he need you? Well, the answer is that he doesn't, but he does because he has said, I'm entering into this relationship with you where together we are going to bring heaven to earth. So he doesn't need you, but he wants you, which means he does need you because he's made it his promise that he would do it with you. He doesn't need you to do it though. And so the people that you work with that maybe need to know some of this stuff, 
Like, you're the one, maybe, to tell them. Does he need you to do it? No, but he's called you to. So do it. You're part of this. You're part of this grand, beautiful design where God takes these rebel sinners and says, I'm going to change you to want to partner with me to bring the kingdom of God here. The thing that you, I mean, the irony of God, the thing that we've been fighting against, I mean, you fight against the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know this, but you would much rather your kingdom come than God's kingdom. Did you know that about you? Because, well, you know what's best for you. You've got a really great plan for your life. And you know what God keeps doing? He keeps on like poking at it and messing it up and you get this great idea and you start like, let it start coming out and then God takes it in the air and he flicks it away. And you're like, oh no, where did it go? This was gonna be amazing. And God's like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't good for you. And, and so, where was I going? This kingdom of God is coming. Um, well, oh well, I lost it. I'm a little sick today. I'll blame it on that. Um, anyways, he's, he, he wants to do this with us, um, not without him. Uh, well, that's clear, but also he wants us to join him. And that's really good news. And you know what? That means there's tons of purpose in your life, like tons. In fact, there's, um, there's this line from the, the movie The Gladiator, and they're about to charge out in the battle, and they say, let's let what we do today echo on into eternity. And it sounds really cool. And I'm like, oh, you know what? That actually is true of the kingdom of God more so because there's these verses that say everything from this earth will be like burned away and everything new will remain, everything good, everything pure. What that means is that when you do something here today that is good and right and beautiful to honor God and to build his kingdom, it remains. So there's purpose flooded in your life. You go into your workplace you're bringing the kingdom of God, but you're bringing things that last forever if you do it for his kingdom and not yours. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us purpose, that you've given us love, you've given us a reason to rejoice, you've given us a reason to honor you, you've saved us from yourself by a grace that was irresistible. Help us learn what it's like to come running into your presence like a son or daughter would, without fear, but complete trust and knowledge that you are going to be delighted to see us more so than we will delight in seeing you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at the Grove Church Official and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.